We give you thanks for Sam and for his service to you through our church. Thank you for the heart he brings to it and uh, the, the different ways in which so many relationships are built up because of him. And now as we attend to your word, we ask that that focus on relationships will be kept before us and that you would enrich our common life in Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, do please turn to page four of the uh, Church Bibles. We're in a series. Uh, last week we were on uh, page three. Uh, next week we'll be on page five. And about 2036, we'll have reached uh, the end of Revelation. Now, we're actually on a series in creation, and uh, having done a couple of psalms, we're looking at uh, Genesis. Uh, let me start. I reckon I, I'm, I've made a little kind of bet with myself how, how many people will put their hands up for this. Can I ask, how many of you could tell me anything at all about uh, Ivan Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Oh, I was so wrong. I reckoned we might have three, and we've got seven. Eight. Thank you very much indeed. Put your hands down. Um, wow, I'd better be careful then. Um, Ivan Masley, um, psychologist, uh, died 1970. It's amazing what Wikipedia tells you. Um, but he came up with this very famous hierarchy of needs. And it was really big for a while in the sort of probably 70s, and I suppose I knew about it in the 80s. And it was a, it's, a, it's a triangle. Um, I'm not going to put it, bother putting it up there because it's wrong. But um, uh, he came up with this triangle. And, and the bottom level is, um, uh, talks about your basic needs. Food, water. Um, and we'll stop there. Um, and, and as you build up through, through five different layers, you get to kind of things like uh, belonging and uh, intimacy. Um, but then at the very top, well, we all know this one, don't we? It's self-actualization. That, that just trips off the, off the tongue. Um, what it means is that you've kind of, you're finally fully inhabiting your own self. Your aesthetics and your morality, and you're all kind of sorted. Um, and I'm going to come on a little later uh, to some indications of why I think it's wrong. But it's very 60s. Um, and, and it's not taken all that seriously now. So I'm sorry for any of the eight of you who use it on a daily basis. But there we go. Um, it's not really taken all that seriously now. Partly because it was that the science behind it was a bit wobbly. Um, but as much as anything, because it just hasn't stood the test of time. Uh, I, and I was, I was troubled when I, I first knew about it, because I'm one of those it really doesn't fit. I reckon that, for me, the most important need I've probably always had is to belong. And I, I, I'll be honest, I face that need mostly because, for most of my life, I don't really ever feel I have belonged. I've always been on the edge of whatever community I've been uh, engaged with, in whatever way it may be. So I have always felt this need that, that the supreme thing for me has been to belong. 
Uh, And I'm going to basically suggest from chapter 2 of Genesis that that's what Genesis is talking about. In fact, not just Genesis, but Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and so on and so on, all the way through to Revelation. Humankind uh, is created by God. And that's the first thing that we're going to spend uh, some time on, what it means to be created the way we are. You see, as as Andy touched on last week, um, when we are, when Scripture says we are created, there's something being denied as well as being affirmed. Because there were lots of religions around at the time of of Genesis that said uh, God sort of squeezed a bit, like a chicken laying an egg. Um, And uh, what came forth out of God was, was a, a bit of God that was the created order. And we would call that, uh, technically, an emanation. It, it, it emanated from God. You don't actually even get this degree of separation that you do from a chicken and an egg. It's just squeeze and there it is, and that's all there is to say about it. But creation was something rather different. So what's being denied is that the creation is kind of part of God. It's actually separated from God. There's a, um, a cut. There is God, and then separately, there is the created order. We are separated, but then there's a, a logical problem. Well, if we're separated, are we drifting off from God? So immediately, when we get the biblical accounts of creation, we get the sense that we are separated but summoned summoned back, if you like. And that's the the biblical kind of shape. We're not squeezed out so that we're a bit of God. We're separated, cut off, but then pulled back by being summoned. There's a different kind of cutting off coming, and that's going to come in chapter 3. That's not for me to deal with. But with that sense of separated but summoned, that leaves us with the question... And Genesis poses the question, the rest of the Bible is the answer to the question, is where are we going to locate ourselves? Are we going to be clinging, limpet-like to God? Or are we going to be far away, thinking, yeah, well, you may be summoning me, but I'm choosing not to answer. Just as the the very fact of creation itself, before you get into all the fall and the Adam and Eve and the snake and all the rest of it, the very fact of creation raises that question. We are separated, but then summoned. Another tension that's built in. Um, uh, Man is created, this particular man, Adam, and he is given dominion over the creation. He is told to work in the garden, and then he is given by God this task uh, of uh, naming uh, the animals. Uh, Verse 10 sorry, no, verse 19, should have brought the glasses, um, of page, uh, of chapter 2. He'd formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. God brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Of course, the power to name, think of all those names in the Old Testament, they're new. Naming is a tremendously powerful activity. If you name something, you have power over it because you have given it its name. So by giving it its name, Adam is asserting his place. 
I am over the giraffe. Let's suppose. (laughs) I am over you, he would have said, I suppose. Uh, Because I'm calling you the giraffe. However, he is high... uh, Uh, Sorry, he is high in that he has got the power over the animals to name them. But he is low in that he is part of the creation. He's not there as some kind of angel. The Lord God took the man, and uh, uh, this is a man that that has had the breath of life uh, breathed into him. So he's a kind of... He's in between. It's another of those tensions. He's both uh, low, he's part of the created order, not that different from the animals, and yet he gets to name the animals. And it's actually, it's actually quite healthful for us, isn't it, to be told that um, you know, we're part of the created order. Because we're, life is full these days of saying, yes, well, of course, we share 99 0.9% or whatever it may be, I'm not claiming to have got that figure exactly right, of our DNA with a jellyfish, or whatever it may be. But the figures are always enormously high. And then Christians panic and say, no, 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 we have to be really, really different. We don't. Think about what people do to each other. Think about what a messy business uh, life is physically. Of course we're part of the created order. Of course we are lowly in the sense that animals are lowly. The man is formed, verse 7, from the dust of the ground, and God breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. We are of the dust, and to dust we shall return. It's no great insight when scientists these days tell us, oh, we are just like the animals. We want to quarrel with them and say, no, not just like the animals. But of course we share enormous characteristics with the animals. We are given dominion so that we are high above the animals, but we are also uh, dusty of the dust like the animals. Another of the tensions there. Third tension. Now, I I don't in any way... um, Despite some of the early jokes, there's no way in which I'm, I mean this as any kind of joke to those who may be uh, suffering. But there is the, the, the best word to describe human creation here is bipolar. Uh, apart from a few accidents, it remains the case that we are categorizable as male and female. Uh, we live in times when issues of transgender are becoming much more significant. Because what's happening is, is that uh, a pretty ancient division between body and spirit, mind, psyche, whatever, is rising again so that people are saying, well, it doesn't matter what my body says I am. It's what I self-identify as. It's what I feel myself to be. Now, I have to apologize to uh, some of the students uh, here because some of this uh, came out in a talk I gave earlier uh, this week. Uh, My daughter was at university in the States um, and uh, of the... uh, We may be used to LGBT as designators. 
uh, but she had eight designators at her university for the different kinds of sexuality that you could uh, present as being, including your physical sexuality, your transgender, or other qualities. But the Bible wants to say that the physicality matters. We don't get to self-identify as either male or female, or, if you remember Conchita Wurst at Eurovision, as both at the same time. There are limits. Now, that's hugely important in our world, because one of the deep questions that our world right now is posing to all Christian faith, and to indeed to religious faith, because it it lands with just as much force uh, in the Muslim world, in the Jewish world, and others, is are we bound by limits? Or are we actually free to recreate and redraw our own limits as we please? Who shall I be today? Is a question that troubles our generation. Not not what shall I dress like, which may have been an issue before. But who shall I be today? There are tensions written in to this text, but this text has the capacity to resolve many of those tensions. I'm going to come to some more of them as we go through. Sexuality is given in verse 23. Uh, The man said, uh, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Uh, There's all kinds of respect and equality in there. We'll come back to that. But marriage only arrives with verse 24. Uh, Sexuality, sexual differentiation and appeal, there's a a real wow factor in verse 23, isn't there? Um, There's a kind of wow, this is now bone of my bones, tone to it. Uh, But marriage itself only arrives with 24, which means that sexuality is deeper in us than marriage is. Sometimes Christians need to hear that. Because there is a Christian response that says, no, actually, once you've decided to uh, get married, then you're allowed to become a sexual being. Until then, you mustn't even think about it, because it's wrong. Christians do need to be careful Sexuality affects all of what it means to not be alone. And one of the ways that we can get it wrong is that because is we forget that sexuality comes first. And that means that affection between people can become suspect in our day when it should not be. Uh, terms for homosexuality only arrived, I mean, precise psychological terms, only arrived in the latter part of the 19th century. Till then, there were no words. There were other ways of describing attraction, same-sex attraction, but there were no precise words. And since the arrival of precise words, there can be a, uh, a pushing so that you're either hetero or you're homosexual. And that means that the the normal affection between uh, same-sex people is now a matter of fear. Shakespeare, I can't remember which play it is, certainly Shakespeare in at least one of his plays, um, 
talks about, uh, or one of his characters, talks about someone who, uh, as the male character, talks about someone who shared his bed uh, until they were about 30. That's not a homosexual relationship. That's just because beds were really expensive. Uh, and, and Shakespeare's wife famously was uh, left behind the second best bed. Um, uh, beds were really expensive. Um, but it was perfectly normal for men to sleep together through most of recorded history. Not for any sexual purpose, but just because it, there was a matter of affection and uh, ex- heating was expensive and all the rest of it. Affection and physicality has become polarized in ways that Christians ought to be standing up against and not being part of the game of polarizing people too quickly. Well, sticking with this part of uh, the creation, how does marriage work, we're told in verse 24? There's a leaving, there's a cleaving, there's a fleshing. Um, Some of you may have grown up um, in an Eastern culture. Uh, Many is the culture in the Far East, uh, and to some extent the Middle East as well, where the woman of a household walks in fear and terror of her husband's mother, who is still part of the household. And uh, uh, Indian humor is full of the the terrifying figure of uh, the husband's mother, who is still part of the household and instructing the new wife how to look after her boy. So it's not accidental that there's an importance laid on leaving at this point, because this is the culture in which it was written, of course, for the East. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother. Biblical culture needs you to leave. That's also one of the reasons why it's important that in our modern culture, where people say, no, we just live together, because the piece of paper doesn't matter. The piece of paper may not matter very much in terms of who it is you are with. It certainly matters in terms of who you have left. It's a clear declaration that that is now behind you, that piece of paper is, and you are now with, in a different way, this other person, your spouse. There's a leaving that's intended from the beginning to be part of the way things are. Then there's a cleaving, a faithfulness to your vow, a faithfulness to the calling you recognize in the other person, a faithfulness to the person themselves. And a recognition that life, life's challenges, are generally too much for one person. A leaving, a cleaving, and a one flesh. They will become one flesh. And I wonder if there's a hint there, not just that the two people become one unit, but rather that becoming one flesh is almost what they pour themselves into, because the norm will be that they are open to the procreation of another generation. And I think more than in other places, this is where I want to speak just a very little about homosexuality. Because if if you're starting from the position of being uh, gay by orientation, same-sex attracted, that's where you're starting from. Then why not, indeed, as many in our world do, why not create the best kind of second best that you can You can get married. 
because faithfulness can be done by anybody, can't it? You can adopt children. And you can push that a long way, lots further than most Christians allow for. But it fun- founders fundamentally, not on some, some fact of uh, the government getting involved in marriages. That's not the problem. The problem is Genesis 2, deep Genesis 1. It founders fundamentally because of what is a given, male and female. It's not open to us to exalt the chosen, I choose to be a woman today, over the body that God has given me to be male. Well, if I'm talking all that about creation as male and female, we have to say something about singleness. Well, uh, this whole chapter is surrounded by the question of what happens at the edge of the the sort of bell curve uh, where the majority of the world will be married at some point. And I can think of at least five singlenesses. All of us are single for a while. Some, as a second kind, are single for a long while and wondering whether they will ever be married. Not quite sure whether celibacy counts as singleness because most people who choose and are recognized as celibates say that they are, in that sense, unmarried because they are already married, either to Christ or his church. There is the single who used to be married or single like the gay friend I have who says simply, I won't be married. Uh, he knows that that's not a choice that is open to him. Those categories exist only really because marriage exists. We speak about singleness really because we know something about marriage. It's interesting that the Christian church is the only religion, the only religion that exalts and honours both singleness and marriage because it alone sees that finally marriage is going to be for everybody, not necessarily in this life, but once the the bridegroom comes for his bride. And on the way, there are various routes. Some we recognize, uh, some are just a matter of circumstance. But it is always important to say that we recognize both And on the whole, I think the Church of God does a pretty poor job of rejoicing with the single. Secondly, let's talk about, not just about male and female, but about humankind as such. What is it that's given to humankind from this chapter? Well, firstly, to uh, work and care for the garden, verse uh, 15. <clears throat> I, um, I wonder if you've ever been in the kind of um, Christian, I suppose it doesn't have to be Christian environment, might be a church, might be something else, where someone says, do you think that we're all too busy doing? Isn't it time that we just allowed time to be doing and being. Let's give up on too much doing 
and allow some being back into our lives. It's a completely false dichotomy, um, as though, uh, really, life operated on a kind of mechanical basis. There are only two ways to go about things. You can be very, very busy doing, or you can do this odd thing called being, which doesn't appear to be, certainly isn't doing very much, it's just sitting there, being. You can either be busy or doing nothing. Doing everything, doing nothing. And then you're invited to place yourself in that, yes, I I deserve a rest because I've been far too busy doing everything and now I need to do a little bit of nothing. But look at verse 15. Uh, Some of you will be working in the care sector. Some of you will be earning your money at it, but some of you may perhaps be looking after older relatives or children at home. When you are caring, are you doing or being? The very fact that that word is there, care, tells us that being and doing are not the only two options that there are. That comes from a mechanical view of the universe, and it's not the biblical view. There is a relationship with our environment, one in which we can choose to care or not care. Harvest, in fact, is a reminder, and some of us feel slightly awkward about um, harvest. There was a wonderful um, cartoon in the Church Times uh, a couple of weeks ago, in which there was a uh, there were three panels uh, to the cartoon. The first uh, showed the uh, ploughman um, in the hymn um, uh, scattering the seed, uh, ploughing the field and scattering. And then the third panel showed all this kind of stuff and the marrows in church. And in the middle was a blank space. And the cartoonist had said, something happens in here, but I'm not quite sure what. That's actually the modern life as we live it, isn't it? Uh, we know that, that that seed stuff happens. Uh, in East Anglia, there are farmers, apparently, but we don't know very many of them. And over there, there's a supermarket and a harvest festival, but we don't really know much about what happens in between. But we kind of still know. And even if it speaks to our guilt, there's something still important about harvest because it reminds us that we have a relationship with the environment. It's not just a matter of doing or being. We are to care. Secondly, we are to rest. That's at the very beginning of chapter 2. <clears throat> and I want you to notice a pattern. You can tell me afterwards if you think this is legitimate. The high point of creation in chapter 1, creation of humankind, is followed uh, on the seventh day, because really beginning of chapter 2 is the end of chapter 1, um, is followed by God resting. The high point of creation in chapter 2, because it's, it's, it's the same story but seen from a different angle. So if you look at, uh, verse, sorry, this is a sideline, but look at verse 4 for a moment. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Then when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, you get them flipped around. So one has been talking from a particular kind of perspective, this gigantic, look, let's look at everything perspective, And then we're now looking at a much more micro perspective. This is about humanity. So we get high point followed by rest, then high point in chapter 2, followed by the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Of course there's an implication of sex in that, but not really till chapter 4 does that come to anything. What is it that's given to us to do? Yes, to work. But there's also something in here around delight and contemplation. And that's relationship again. But relationship now with one another, not with the environment, but with one another. 
then we are, to, we are what is given to humankind to work, to rest, and to purpose. Um, I said I'd come back to this business in uh, verse 23, that uh, Adam says, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. The word, she shall be called, is a very different word from the word that's been used earlier in the chapter for um, naming. The word, the The naming is a sign of dominion, being over the creation. Calling is a sign of equality. Neither henceforth shall be complete without the other. She was taken out of man. Man misses her. She is incomplete without the possibility of appearing out of man. Verse 27 expresses the linkage, sorry, verse uh, 27 of um, chapter 1, expresses the linkage to God. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. But what is the linkage to image God, but in what way? Uh, Some reckon that, well, it's obvious, as male and female, uh, together we image something about a sort of twofold character in God. But there isn't anything in Scripture about a twofold character in God. There's a threefoldness about God and a onefoldness about God, but there's never a twofoldness about God. So what is being imaged? It's certainly not only that there's gender involved, but what there is is something about relationship. Humankind is most itself when it is drawn out of itself. And that requires us to look a little more closely at exactly what that means as we finish. What is given to humankind? To work, to rest, and to purpose. Because this is all about relationships in the end. The relationship being imaged is not, finally, being male and female within God, but rather husband and wife, in eternity, with God the Son and his bride. Again, I make no apologies, really, to the students. Uh, One of my favorite quotations of all time. Because we fall into the trap of thinking, well, Genesis comes first, therefore that's first in the mind of God. No, God's purposes begin in Revelation. Genesis is how we get there. The whole created order, said one writer, is brought into being in order that the Son of God shall be complete in a bride. Blows my mind. The whole created order is is brought into being in order that the Son of God shall be complete in a bride. We begin at the end when we're looking at the Bible. Where is it going? And what does Genesis then tell us about where it's going? Maslow is wrong. The individual is not the highest point of creation. Now that can be scary, because I can live quite easily if someone tells me, that I am the highest point of creation. I mean, me personally. Um, no, I mean, we, we all can live quite easily if we're told we are the highest point of creation. That's great. I think that's that. <laughs> I am so cool, if that's the case. But it's rather worrying if I'm told that I'm not the highest point of creation. Actually, my belonging to you and your belonging to me is the highest point of creation. If relationship is the highest point of creation, because that creates bonds of obligation that we may not choose 
but by which we may be judged. Our relationship to the Syrian refugee. Our relationship to the man and woman and boys and girls that are going to get this stuff. Our relationship supremely to the person that the Bible calls neighbor. It's not a matter when we think about men and women and marriage in chapter 2 of Genesis. Finally, of thinking about marriage rules and governments. Governments have always had power to come up with their own definition. We'll let them. It's frustrating, and we do need to keep claiming that there is only marriage. We don't want to end up having to claim that there's Christian marriage. But beyond all that, there's something much more important going on. Sometimes the practical application of Scripture is not just to move hearts, but to illuminate minds and stiffen resolve. Nothing here says that we are to be less than gracious to those of us who are gay, who may be out, and those of us who are gay who may not be. And it would be a great thing if the Christian church was a much friendlier place for gay people to be. Mostly that just might involve being a lot less bothered, and I long for the day when uh, gay people can be welcomed into the life of our church. Uh, That's a separate issue around marriage. It's a separate issue around some of the structures. But it would be great if it was a friendlier place for gay people to be. There are limits. Marriage is one. Self-definition of gender is another. But the point is love the neighbor. Marriage is just a very special refining and focusing down of the fact that we are given to one another as neighbors. And then let our relationships with one another be their own witness to Jesus Christ. And let's not throw stones until all of us have got our neighbor love right. Lord God, we pray for those people who are going to receive uh, this food. It's at some remove from us. It will go to a food bank, and then people will turn up with their little bits of paper saying they're allowed to have food. And we don't know them. And right now, as we sit here, they are faceless to us. But they are not faceless to you. You know every person who will be going along to that food bank. You know the relational history of every life. You know the joys that they've known and the abuse that they've suffered. You know the deepest secrets as well as what they tell to others. And that's just in the little parcels of food we have in front of us. Give us welcome and opening hearts and stiffen our resolve to fight for what the value of good relationship between men and women, single or married, can be. What good relationship between men and men, women and women, can be. And let there be among us a united witness 
to what Christ brings about through love of neighbor in bringing and reconciling the world to himself.